show me your mic, but don't show you my pop filter because it's crappy. Hello and welcome to Show Me Your Mic. I'm your host, Chris Enns. Show Me Your Mic is a podcast where I talk to other podcasters about their podcasts. We discuss various podcasting-related things. I'm also paid per mention of the word podcast on this episode, so I'll say podcast a lot. My guest this episode is Lex Friedman. He's the executive VP of sales and development for Bidroll, a premier advertising network for podcasts. So naturally, we talk about numbers and downloads and stats and all that kind of thing as it relates to your podcast and why you might be able to hire or look to the Bidroll to take care of your sponsorship or why you might not be. I hope you enjoy the show. As always, send me any questions you have after the fact. Chris at goodstuff.fm. Thanks for listening. We'll get the gear question out of the way. That's what the the kids tune in for, I think. But they're they're really here to hear you talk about sponsorship stuff, and we'll, yeah, we'll tease that. We'll keep that until the last minute or two. Um, when last we spoke, way back in episode twenty three of Show Me Your Mic, which you can find if you're if if somebody's looking for goodstuff.fm slash smym slash twenty three. That's short for Show Me Your Mic. In case you're slow like me this morning. Um, this episode is number 43, which you can find if you're following along. There'll be links to stuff we talk about throughout the show there. you were So last we spoke, you were just a little kid starting to wet your feet in the world of podcast sponsorship. You were uh, co-hosting a successful podcast called Unprofessional, and you had a nice cushy job at Macworld. <laughs> I say cushy, I don't know. I'm assuming there was cushions involved. <laughs> oh, there were all kinds. Of, well, I was standing on the treadmill desk, but yeah, there were, there were cushions elsewhere. <laughs> okay. So, so what happened, Lex? Uh, I do none of those things now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, here's the, the, the unfiltered true story of what happened. Uh, and I, I'm going to monologue, but feel free to interject at any time. Okay. Monologue. I was right. I was doing all those things you said. I was writing for Macworld full time. I was doing unprofessional on the side, having a good time with both. And then, you know, early on in unprofessional's life, uh, Mule Radio was struggling a bit to sell sponsorships. And I said, hey, do you care if I try to sell it myself? Why I said that, I have no idea. I had no ad sales experience. I knew nothing. And they said, sure, go for it. And so the story there was, and this was what we talked about last time, you know, Glenn Fleischman from the New Disruptor said, will you sell my show too? And then Mule said, geez, why don't you sell all of our shows? And then Marco asked me to sell ATP and uh, Boing Boing asked me to sell all this. So all of a sudden I had about 50 podcasts. And I started to realize you know, I, uh, I couldn't keep doing podcast ad sales on the side and do it well. I had to kind of make a choice and say, I'm going to do podcast ad sales full time or I'm going to kind of not be very good at it and not be serving my, my podcasting customers well if I continue to try to do that and Mac roll at the same time. And the, the thing that really was hard about that decision was I had no not no confidence, but I had no desire to leave a steady, happy Macworld job that I loved, my favorite job I had ever had, uh, to go out on my own with podcast ad sales. And so what my kind of conclusion was, I'm only ever going to be okay at this because I can't quite give the podcast stuff the attention it needs. 
Um, and I had a, a performance review at Macworld where they said, Lex, you're so great. We love you. We're just afraid you're going to leave us to become a full-time podcasting mogul. And I'm like, don't worry. That's never going to happen. I, for this exact reason, I'm not going to go do it full-time. I like the stability of a full-time job. I don't want to have to live commission check kind of situation and, you know, have good weeks and bad weeks. I like, I like the steady thing. It's fine. And then uh, this company at the time, the mid-roll, now just mid-roll, but mid-roll reaches out to me and says, you know, we should work together because you sell podcast ads and we sell podcast ads and, you know, we'd give you a full-time job and we'd, uh, you wouldn't have to worry about the commission side. We'd just pay you regularly and we'd take all the, you know, that kind of anxiety out of it and you could really focus on it full-time. And I'm like, well, geez, I just told Mag World the other, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I took a job. <laughs> and so now I, uh, I, Unprofessional ended sometime after that. Uh, well, not ended, and, but yeah, my time, yeah. my time on a professional ended. And that was, you know, I, I love Dave. I've known Dave for a very long time. We met through that podcast. Um, Dave Wiskus, I mean, and I've, I, you know, I had written to Dave and I wrote him this long heartfelt email. Like, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm adding value to the show now. I feel like, you know, maybe it's, it's run its course. Like we, I, I don't want to start repeating ourselves on the show or anything like that. And I, I just don't know if I'm good at it anymore. Um, and maybe we should wind it down. And he said, well, I understand why you'd say that, but if I want, if we wind it down, I, I hope you don't mind if I keep the format and try to do it again. I'm like, well, geez, if you want to keep the format and everything, why don't you just keep the show alive and we'll find a new co-host. And I suggested Jamie, who is now the co-host, Jamie Newberry, who's now the co-host on Unprofessional. So people I think were rooting for or looking for podcast drama and there's plenty of podcast drama out there, but there was actually none with my unprofessional departure. And now I do zero podcasts. That's a lie. <laughs> there's the drama yeah <laughs> you're contractually obligated to say you don't do any podcasts but then you secretly exactly i do right? i do many podcasts yeah so let's go uh let's see daily lex your daily lex my daily lex it's everyone's daily it's, lex. It, i call it your daily lex but you can call it my daily lex <laughs> it, uh it's nearly daily. almost daily yeah it's a, it's meant to be five days a week and i think it probably averages somewhere between four and five days a week and see this is where we have some podcast drama because i have a show called daily-ish because it yes. actually is ish, not fully daily. So I feel like I'm, in terms of honesty with my listeners, <laughs> somehow better Yours than you. Yours does what it says on the tin, yeah. Yeah. A daily-ish podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, I get it. Uh, mine is, is meant to be a motivating factor. In fact, this past week, uh, you know, this is July 21 as we're talking to each other, but last week I really did not do very well. Um, I had episodes on the 14th, 15th, and 17th, but, uh, it's Monday the 21st and there's an episode out already today. Um, and, uh, which is more than I can say for my show. So, <laughs> so the, I have no idea what I'm doing with my show. I don't know why it exists or why. I, I mean, I know why I do it. I do it because I think it's fun. Um, and I feel terribly every time I miss a daily release, but, um, don't quote that out of context, but it's uh, it's a fun show. I like doing it. I'm curious, what was your original motivation for doing it? If in all seriousness, I guess Do you, was it kind of because for me the the my dailyish, which is far from dailyish, it's it's more like like my wife was telling me it's more weeklyish if if you're lucky. But yeah, it's kind of I started originally as an experimental place to just try stuff with podcasting that I wasn't really going to tell anybody about. But of course, as a podcast ego that we all have, I had to tell people because I want to look at the stats. But then, yeah, it's kind of just that place. But then every time I go to record, I feel like, why am I talking to myself? And why would anybody want to listen to it sometimes? Maybe <laughs> I need to see a therapist about that. But what was your sort of motivation for starting it? Well, I had, I had decided, A, you know, that I was going to stop doing unprofessional. And I didn't want to let my podcasting muscles atrophy. So that was one piece <laughs> of the motivation. But the real reason that I landed on that particular show at that particular moment was 
uh, and this is 100% true, I was in the shower and I was thinking to myself, you are a handsome man. Now I was thinking to myself, um, it would be really funny to start a podcast and say, this podcast is brought to you by, you know, my need to be loved and listened to by strangers on the internet and also Squarespace. And I just thought that that intro was funny to me. Like this podcast brought to you by my need to be loved and appreciated and also Squarespace. And so that was the number one reason I recorded the show. And I was like, well, if I do that, I can probably come up with other things to say on later episodes. But that was the number one reason I started. The best ideas in the shower. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so then I kept doing the Squarespace jokes uh, every every day for a while. I would Squarespace, by the way, never paid to sponsor that show. It was just to me funny to say this episode was sponsored by something and also Squarespace and then smash cut to theme song. And it was eventually I think it was Marco Arman actually who said, I think that you've you've now played out the Squarespace joke. And to me, that was such an insightful observation for me to say, hey, I don't have to keep doing I can do whatever I want. Even though I started, you know, the first, I don't know, 10 episodes with a Squarespace joke, I don't have to keep doing that. So that was that was an insightful thing. I was glad Marco brought to my attention. <laughs> Just by saying he's tired of the joke. Yeah, it exactly. Was, it helped you move on. I felt like I was stuck with it forever. Like, boy, I'm going to have to really come up with a lot of Squarespace <laughs> jokes. But no, I don't have to. It's my freaking show. And have you, you've kept it unsponsored? Yeah. Um, there have been less. two sponsors in the show's history. Igloo Software once sponsored it for a week um, for no pay. But uh, the Igloo Software, the buyer there is, has become a good friend, although he and I have never met in person. Uh, his name is also Marco, but with a K. And uh, Marco was giving me some business advice because I was also, you know, the company was becoming an advertiser in addition to being you know, we sell ads, but then we also want to find more advertisers. And so Marco gave me some advice on uh, how to promote ourselves because that's what he does for a living. And I said, Marco, this was so kind of you to give me all this information. How can I ever repay you? And as soon as I said that, I knew what a tragic mistake I'd made because you cannot ask an ad buyer, what can I ever do for you? He's like, well, how about some free ads? So I gave them a week of spots on my show for, uh, which were all done in good fun. And then more recently, uh, the CEO of Midroll, a guy named Adam Sachs, he and I, he had a bit of information that I was desperate to know and he knew I was desperate to know it and we bartered and, uh, although I've been terrible, I've, the show is much more frequent than I remember to do this, but for until the end of, uh, I think it's, I think the end of July or the end of Q3, I don't remember which I'm supposed to say that every episode of your daily Lex is sponsored by Adam Sachs, whom you should go follow on Twitter. And he's at A R S A C H S at A R Sachs. So now I've sponsored this too for Adam. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Subversive sponsorship. Yeah. That's Boom. the way of the future. Yeah. I've also got 17 Squarespace ads to read before we're done here. <laughs> I don't think anybody who listens to the show has ever heard of Squarespace. So <laughs> yeah, that'll... I can imagine. <laughs> that is an interesting, well, we can maybe talk about that one. Um, are they a client? A Squarespace? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Maybe we won't talk about that one. Um, they... <laughs> and you've had a couple of interview shows sort of like, you know, within, do you keep it to a time limit always or I, I have to confess I haven't, I'm a ish listener of your daily uh, Lex, but uh, I, it's meant to be five minutes or fewer. I don't care if it goes longer. Uh, it has never gone longer than 10 minutes. I've probably done four interviews or five interviews on the show, mm -hmm. uh, including all three of my kids have been on the show. Um, and nice. uh, a few other folks, Scott McNulty, Jason Snell, Dan Morin. And uh, that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the, the time constraint, which is loose, but like having that, that shorter show, I think that's another part of what I like about doing that daily thing and there's less pressure, there's less um, reason to babble as or 
come up with random thoughts and just keep a show going for the sake of having it be an hour long. But we'll ignore that issue on this show and keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I really, I think that having a, a firm time max on any podcast, whether daily or otherwise, is important. I know it's not necessary the way it is for radio or TV shows where they've got to fit a certain amount of airtime and then they have to let the next show on. I think there's a tendency amongst all podcasts to get longer over time. The longer you've been doing the show, the longer it gets. <laughs> um, that was almost a tautology. That'll be but, a uh, show title probably. <laughs> the, um, it doesn't have to. Like you can cap those shows and make them small. I always wanted Unprofessional to be a half an hour and it never was. It was typically around 42 minutes. But if we hadn't had the half hour, it would have been an hour. <laughs> so yeah. that was at least something. <laughs> That's true because uh, often podcasts, there's well, we don't have constraints really. Like there's... Like you said, there's nothing stopping us aside from you have a phone call in 90 minutes or what, and you need to eat. But there's not really, I could just keep talking all day and recording it, which would be amazing. But um, not having that, I think that's that certainly is a trap that a lot of podcasters fall into, uh, especially if it's a like your techie, nerdy, uh, just sort of discussion, three dudes chatting about their stuff that they like or whatever kind of show then like an interview show like this, I would hope would run its course after a few hours. <laughs> you and I would get tired of <laughs> <laughs> right you would get tired of me at, at the very least i was but, gonna say i could never no <laughs> but uh speaking of long podcasts that's a nice little segue to uh not playing with lex and dan where you do yes. actually go long and right. uh so well we go long and short <laughs> right <laughs> cover both bases not Playing is a show with Dan Warren where uh, he and I both are known amongst a certain crowd for having not seen movies that most members of modern society in you know North America at least have seen. Um, so we watch those movies together and talk about them, share the experience. So, for example, it's only because of that podcast have I seen films like Beverly Hills Cop, Die Hard, The Karate Kid. Um, or uh, that uh, Kevin Costner baseball movie, If You Build It, They Will Come. Field of Dreams, Field of Dreams. Yeah. Only because of uh, that show have I seen it. So we do, we release two versions of the uh, episodes. You can just get the capsule version, which is typically in the mid-20s in terms of minutes, where it's what we talked about before we watched it and then our thoughts after having watched it. Or if you are a glutton for punishment, you can kind of Mystery Science Theater 3000 style watch along with us. So it's like the commentary track version. So it's all the same conversation from the capsule edition, but also hearing us as we watch the movie in real time. And so I have not had the pleasure yet of um, doing the real time version. What, I guess, both the technique and then how, how do you, okay, talk, well, talk me through that. How do you record that? First of all, are you both in, you're not in the same room, right? You're No, we're, we're hundreds of miles apart. He's in Boston and I'm in New Jersey. And what we do is this first, you know, we just simply start recording and, uh, we do our initial conversation. Then we each queue up the movie from the same source. It might be a ripped version of the movie that we share the same file of, or it might be we go to the, st the same streaming source. There's a little bit more risk in the streaming source, but it's also the method we use more often because we are risky people. Uh, then we literally open up the date and time preference panel. Um, with our clocks set, you know, to Apple's time server and agree upon at what second tick over we will hit play. Um, we don't just simply hit play from the very beginning, though. We first each queue up to like the opening producer logo fading out and then pause when it fades to black, for example, and then say, OK, my clock shows one twenty eight sixteen remaining. And Dan says, yes, mine says the same thing. So then we wait on the countdown. And when both of our clocks hit, you know, the next minute or the next 30 second mark, we hit play at that same moment. Wow. 
So we'll tell our listeners on the show, you know, okay, we've waited till the logo fades out and this is how much time it says remaining and you should press play in three, two, one, beep. And we say that, but we never actually press play them because we do our own hardcore syncing up with that time clock. Whoa, even more hardcore. So do you, are you doing, uh, and then you, so you record the show while you're watching it. Exactly. Each talking over Skype, presumably. Exactly. So we're connected on Skype and we've got the headphones and you can, we can tweak both Skype's volume and the movie playback's volume. So you find the sweet mix um, of getting the right volume for the movie so you can hear it, but also being able to hear, you know, the other person on the show. Right. And so obviously in the movie vol- music volume sound, et cetera, is not sent through the podcast because that would exactly. get into whole legal issues, but yes. you're right. And we, you have to wear, the only hard part here is to wear good headphones so that you don't have bleed through of the movie soundtrack while you're listening to the podcast. Right. Because nobody wants to hear that. And do you do the, the famed double ender style production yes. on that one? For, for both that and the other show I do that we haven't mentioned yet, we do the, the double ender so that you can get the, the rawest audio possible, purest audio possible. And how do you find, are you doing the editing or is Dan doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do it. I don't do editing. For an, the only <laughs> show I edit is your Daily Lex and I don't do the editing for the other shows because I'm too lazy, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> That's uh, I, I should have gone with too busy. That's a better answer. Too busy. Right. Uh, we do a division of labor where, and I do some of the other stuff, and I you know find advertisers for the shows, and then the other folks do the editing. Um, I know that it's a monster to edit it, it, because the internet is crappy. So if it's a smooth recording session, nothing goes wrong. It's a cakewalk. Dan doesn't do any editing on the main movie version because he can't. Right. If he chops it up, it gets out of sync. Yeah. Um, but. Often Dan's uh, internet connection will go out at some point during the movie for a few minutes. And so then, A, I have to notice that he's not there anymore because we're not constantly talking as we watch. So you have to, A, notice that he's not there and then, B, say, um, I should pause and then, C, wait for Dan to get back online. D, back up, sync up to a new spot during the midst of the movie, open up the date and time preference panel again, sync up on another time code where we're going to start. And then that, I understand, is like a, a total pain to edit. That uh, yeah, that sounds painful. That uh... what we've eventually landed on here is that if there's a little bit of drift and it gets off, like we're, we laugh hysterically at a line and then you see, only hear the line after that, it, we think it's incumbent on the podcast listener to do some adjustment as well. If you're so into us that you're going to listen to the commentary track version, we're okay with it if you have to do a couple of tiny adjustments. Right. It's not ideal, but we we think that people are okay with it. Yeah. Interesting. So, do you have a? Uh, is there I would I would assume that the the shorter version gets downloaded more, just you know, in, term, in the interest of time. But what's the? I would assume that too, and it's not always the case. Hmm. It, it it's not a hugely popular show. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to lie to you. It's hugely popular. No, it's not a hugely <laughs> popular show, but it does you know it does fine. There's yeah. a there are people who listen, and what is amazing is it's really very variable. Um, by movie so if it's a popular movie then people get are more inclined or if it's the right kind of popular people are more inclined to listen so like the uhf episode since uhf is kind of a cult classic i guess people got really into and it was downloaded more than you know the Die Hard episode let's say um but it there's really a lot of variance uh on which episode which version of the episode gets downloaded more and uh, going a little bit on the technical side, you guys with that show and uh, maybe others, but with that one, you're using SoundCloud as well to publish. Yes. Uh, is this something where maybe I should talk with Dan about that stuff or do you have an opinion on, I guess as a sponsor, 
agent, person, seller. You might have an opinion, I guess, on SoundCloud. That's a bit of a debate going on and continues to go on in podcasting well, world. So actually, as a as a mid-roll employee and even co-owner, I'm a big fan of SoundCloud. We have a partnership with them. I've heard the debates, um, but I think that SoundCloud is really trying hard to be YouTube uh, for audio. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's helpful. Like, I mean, we pay $0 to host uh, to host Not Playing. And SoundCloud serves it up. It serves it well. The downloads are fairly... Are, are robust enough in terms of speed and performance and reliability that I don't give it a second thought. Um, I serve Your Daily Lex myself, uh, mostly because I didn't want to see the download numbers each day and get discouraged. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I do Your Daily Lex myself, so I pay for that bandwidth. And it's, you know, that's a tiny show. That's a short show with a small listener base in the low thousands. And uh, it's, it's fine, but it's more work for me. SoundCloud really takes a lot of the work out of it. And they do more and more to to try to make sure that it's it's going to work with every podcast app and with good feeds and totally downloadable. I know Merlin for a while has really hated on SoundCloud because Merlin Man because it, they didn't make downloading as easy as he felt it should be. Um, and I think they're much better at that than they used to be. Mm. Yeah, combined with um, uh, I know Jeremy Keith who uh, manages or runs Huff Duffer, which he's interviewed on a previous episode of this show as well. He did some work to, I think that was one of Merlin's big gripes is Huff Duffer couldn't grab a podcast episode. It was really hard to do or whatever out of a SoundCloud feed. And those two entities have worked together and come to some sort of agreement on how geeky stuff works. And, and both of those, and Huff Duffer now works well with SoundCloud. And so that was the other, I think, issue. So, um, and that was, because at the time it felt like I was a bit of sort of anti-SoundCloud type person because it felt sure. a bit like Flash of, of old where it was like locking the you know, the file behind some sort of confusing thing and never you shall see the file kind of idea. And so, right. but they've certainly, they've done a lot better. And that's, um, I, re I remember initially a lot of the reaction to them add, adding podcasting specific type features was kind of like, well, they're just jumping on that and then we'll see. But the fact that I guess a company like Midroll and SoundCloud are working together or have an agreement of some sort and then just, I guess, says they have a bit more skin in the game, I guess, and uh, is encouraging and something to take a look at, I guess, for folks. Because it certainly is a, from an audio interface compared to how we used to have to, back in my day, <laughs> yeah. how we used to have to do things with audio on the web. This is, SoundCloud is amazingly well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, it's, I think that SoundCloud's intentions are good. I think the one thing to be, you know, cautious about or to be wary of is the same thing that people, uh, you know, in totally different area of internet life get worried about with Gmail. Not everybody loves Gmail. I happen to be a Gmail fan. Uh, if they stopped supporting IMAP, that would be crappy. If SoundCloud said we're no longer going to support uh, XML feeds and podcast subscription generation, that would be a problem. But as long as they say, you know, we might do our own add-ons and our own custom stuff and want to push more people to use a native experience, but we're still going to support the kind of transparent transaction layers that folks rely on, then I'm totally content with it. Yeah, and that's the that's probably the, a bit of the worry is like they're going to use the podcast audience and sort of ride that bandwagon to build a big enough listenership and then cut that thing off now that you're all stuck here or something like that. And as long right. as like folks, like you said, if you have hang on to hopefully you do but hang on to your mp3 files of your podcast in some form they're not that big right you can always throw them on somewhere else and continue life um uh, but yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so um now you have me at a little bit of a loss because i um, 
maybe it's because it's earlier in the morning for me than I usually record, but the third show that you do, why am I drawing a complete blank on? The third show I do, since I know you're, you're, you want me to get to talk about it, you're pretending not to remember. Right, exactly. It's a podcast called Turning This Car Around. Oh, yes, of course. About fatherhood uh, or parenting uh, with John... John's Moltz and Armstrong, although they spell John differently, so you couldn't write that sentence. You can only speak that sentence. But John's Moltz and Armstrong, John Moltz, who's a senior contributor to Macworld, a frequent guest on John Gruber's The Talk Show and an all-around funny guy. John Armstrong, uh, ex-husband of Deuce, the famed mommy blogger. He uh, also goes online by the name Blurb a lot. Uh, so it's three dads from three very different dadding situations talking about fatherhood for not more than an hour a week. We typically record that one during my work day. So I do it over my lunch break. And so I have a very hard stop time. Sometimes we'll start right away when we get on the call. And sometimes, and that's a, a triple ender uh, on Skype. And sometimes, you know, we, well, what are we talking about this week? What are we going to do? Are there any advertisers? We blah, blah, all that stuff. And so then we start like 20 minutes later. But no matter what, we always stop at 1 p.m. Eastern. So the show might be an hour, it might be 40 minutes, but it's never longer. At least they tell you they stop, so you hang up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I've never listened to the show. It turns out they go for another couple hours an hour. <laughs> right. And uh, so um, what's the, the, the origins of that, that show? You know, it's John Armstrong, um, when he saw that I was doing podlexing, uh, which was my name for the business when I did sponsorship sales for podcasts solo, said, hey, that's really cool that you're doing that. Uh, in fact, Gruber, Gruber had said to me, me meaning John Armstrong, Gruber said to me that I should do something like that. And now here you are doing it. That's so great because I never got off my ass and did it. Um, we should work together sometime. And John Armstrong and I really didn't know each other. Uh, we knew of each other and we followed each other on Twitter and whatever, but we had never met in person. We still have never met in person, actually. And um, I had, every once in a while, I would talk to John Moltz when I was on my own saying, you know, when are you going to do a podcast so that I can sell it? Because John Moltz is a very funny and talkative guy. And, um, at some point Armstrong and I talked about a fatherhood show as an idea and in part just out of nervousness because I didn't know him and I didn't know how, I didn't know how it would go to talk to him. And I didn't want to say, well, let's do some pilots and I'll test you out and see if you're good at this. I just said, well, why don't we bring in Moltz as well? And Moltz and Armstrong didn't know each other either. So I was the glue for two mildly tenuous connections, um, and we just, I, I, in my executive producer role, I was like, well, why don't I take this person who I've been talking to and this person I've been talking to and combine them into one show? And uh, thus was it born. We didn't know exactly what it was going to be like. We just knew that we wanted to talk about parenting and from a father's perspective. And we created a shared Google Doc that had 30 or so episode ideas, which we've now burned through. Um, <laughs> and uh, we still have plenty more. There's a lot to talk about. But that, that's kind of the genesis for that one. Interesting. And what's the, uh, I, I've often thought about good stuff we've talked about with a bunch of the hosts and uh, about doing some sort of parenting podcast. A lot of us are parents and um, I was going to say have kids, which obviously goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm tired because I have kids. Uh, but I totally get it. <laughs> the, uh, the, the struggle I've had, and I've done a 10 episode run of a pod parenting podcast with a friend. The struggle I often had is like, how much do you share and where, how do you draw um, you don't have explicitly your kid's permission necessarily to share some of this. And I'm not trying to make it into a big ethical debate, but just, you know, a bit of that struggle of, um, I, I get the sense from you and, and stuff like let's do that you're fairly open and share what's going on and, and talk, you know, honestly and openly about stuff. But do you ever sort of run into that with, especially a show like this where you're like, I don't know if your wife listens or somebody, a family member might listen and be like, why would you share that story about me that's, pooping my that's, pants? Well, right. <laughs> That's a really interesting question. 
Sorry for um, pooping in the pants part. No, it's okay. I'm pooping in my pants right now. <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't say anything that I think my wife would object to. I, I assume that my wife would listen to anything. I do say things on turning this car around that my own parents would probably not appreciate, but I know they don't listen, and so I think it's fine. I just I choose not to worry about it. Um, <laughs> with my kids, I would say I have... I feel like I am protected by my lack of fame. You know, I am not even internet famous. I am known amongst a very small crowd of people. If my show were being listened to by half a million downloaders a week, or if it was even being downloaded 50,000 times a week, I think I would be more protective or cautious than I am. Um, not that I'm saying things that I think they would hate me for. I'm thinking, I think on occasion I talk about stories that they'd be like, dad, but not like uh, running up their therapy bills as much as annoying them or, you know, the kind of thing where you've got the Ophi father who you're embarrassed by when he's dropping off at school or whatever. Right. Um, I would never want to get into the, you know, humiliated for life situation, but I don't mind being, you know, Ophish dad dropping off at school reputation in large part because I think it's, I have a few friends who listen to the shows I do, a few friends, you know, in person, local New Jersey friends who listen to the shows I do. And every once in a while I forget that they're listening and then they'll say something about it to me. And so that can be amusing. But I, I overshare far and away the most about myself and not about anybody else. I'm, I'm, I only, the only person who should be embarrassed is me, uh, is my typical goal or rule. And I've just decided that I won't be embarrassed by these things though. Where it gets weird is, you know, I, I interview job applicants. We're hiring people on occasion at the mid roll and they know, Right. <laughs> way more about me than I know about them when the conversation begins. And that can sometimes be awkward if I, if I'm thinking about recent episodes or if they make reference to it. Um, but it's fine. I mean, it's, it comes with the territory, but in terms of protecting my kids, I think that my number one rules, I would not want them to be embarrassed by anything at the most. I would want them to be, you know, mildly annoyed and I try to be, I try to be conscious of it and cognizant of it. And uh, if uh, if my show suddenly explodes and I have, you know, Mark Maron size downloads, uh, maybe I'll change my tone. Right. Yeah, that's actually a good way of looking at it too. And it's more, that, to me, it is more the, my buddy who sees me and then is like wondering why I've, you know, talked about locking my kid in the basement for an hour because I just couldn't deal with them or whatever. Not that that's ever happened because we don't have a lock in our basement, so it couldn't happen. But <laughs> you know what's a great transition into talking about your sponsor is talking about locking your kids in the basement. No, it's not. Don't do that. But uh, my thanks to this episode sponsor, which is Campaign Monitor. We use it here at goodstuff.fm slash newsletters where you can sign up for our Campaign Monitor built newsletter. I just built the most recent episode or issue of uh, our newsletter in their brand new tool called Canvas. Canvas.cm is where you can check out the little promo video on their new uh, editor, which works awesome and it's amazing to design a really well-designed newsletter that works across all different types of devices and things that, from iPhones to Androids and whatever else in between. And uh, it works, like I said, it works well. I designed our latest one in seconds using their template that they've provided and then tweaked it a bit to our own purposes. And uh, I'll be doing that with future newsletters. It's just using different templates and stuff, just playing around with the Canvas um, Canvas tool for building newsletters and um, structuring things different, laying them out differently, all that kind of stuff. Very easy to do. You're not locked into, you have a style and sort of a base look, but then it you, you can play around with where things are and how things are structured very easily. They also have a great iOS app called Monitor, creatively enough, that allows you to monitor your newsletters that you've sent out, your campaigns that you've sent out, um, stats and signups and unsubscribes, heaven forbid, and all that kind of stuff, and see that right on your phone, wherever you happen to be. And uh, great, great app, 
great service. I invite you to check out Campaign Monitor and thank them for supporting good stuff and show me your mic. Okay, well, we've teased them long enough, whoever they are, the listeners, I guess. Um, as far as let's get get into some discussion of sponsorship and all that kind of stuff and where things are going these days. Um, as you mentioned, you're working with Midroll. Not, it's not the Midroll, right? It's just Midroll now? Correct. And um, just, I guess, the transition from working on your own for selling sponsorships to now with a company, a bigger company, and behind you and, and beside you and around you, <laughs> as it were. Uh, how did that change the conversation, I guess, when you're talking with shows and, and uh, what was sort of, did, did anything change for you in, in approaching shows uh, when that change happened? The, you know, the, I guess the biggest change was the, just the number of shows I'm dealing with and the size of those shows. You know, when I first joined, I went from 50 shows to represent to 90 shows pretty quickly. Um, and the shows that I used to, focus on exclusively were mostly tech shows and the unprofessional, which was not a tech show. Um, mostly tech shows and the biggest ones were going to be folks like ATP and the talk show, which were somewhere between at that time, 15, 70,000 downloads an episode, certainly not chump change, uh, by any stretch. But when I joined in the mid role now, okay, I'm also selling, uh, WTF with Mark Marin, which at the time when I started was doing 200,000 downloads an episode and is now doing 300,000 downloads an episode or more. Um, so that's a big change. Uh, I got to introduce a bunch of tech advertisers or tech adjacent advertisers to the world of comedy podcasts that they just hadn't touched. Because I, I think that people think of podcasting as focused on whatever they podcast about or whatever shows they listen to. But So my whole world was tech podcasts. And then there's this enormous world of comedy po- podcasts. And there's this enormous world of business podcasts and parenting podcasts and all that stuff. So the, the number one change was just having much larger shows to deal with and a much larger quantity of shows to deal with. Um, what was nice was I got to bring some advertisers who I had already been working with into the fold and I got to bring some advertisers who were already quite content with the comedy world into the tech side. Um, but so what's, what's extra fun is, you know, I've put tune in campaigns, meaning, you know, tune in to watch this show on this channel on, you know, it was old hat for some of these professional comedians, but it was pretty new for somebody like Jason Snell on the incomparable to say, you know, watch Rick and Morty on adult swim. That was kind of a cool thing to be able to do for, for their, smaller shows to get them larger advertisers. Yeah. And that's, I think, I mean, probably part of the reason why mid-roll would look to you in, in, and bring someone like you into their space. Cause that's, it does feel very siloed at times. Like, you know, like we joked about Squarespace obviously, but they do a ton of awesome work obviously in, in podcasting sponsorship. And, um, but it feels like, well, obviously just in the tech world, cause that's where they, they live, but I'm sure they have, expanded beyond that and and uh and getting to mix <clears throat> excuse me genres of podcasts with different genres if you will of, of sponsors and so um one thing that might surprise people and i know you've in previous conversations i've had with you we, you've been very forthcoming but that you are sort of just throwing out numbers it's that's one of those things that seems to be very like hidden or something that podcasters try to in some ways hang on to as if it's sort of i don't know private or maybe I guess embarrassed. I don't know what the reason is, but like as far as download numbers, obviously in the world you live in, you have to say like, this is like you said, Mark Marin is 300,000 or more and, and those kind of things. And, and why do you, why do you feel, I guess the, wherever the most of the podcasts lie, there's sort of this hesitancy to discuss actual numbers and dollars and, and things like that. Yeah, that's a really good question. There is a hesitancy to share numbers and I don't think it's, I don't think it's good for the industry. Uh, some people are just podcasting for fun. I have no problem with that at all. Your Daily Lex is a podcast I do strictly for fun. It doesn't make any money. 
But when you want to look at it as a monetizable business model, the biggest knock against podcast advertising is advertisers don't have great data from us. The only data we can offer is downloads. That's the only stat that we can provide. Direct response advertisers, the ones who are saying, you know, listen to this ad and go buy something right away, the people using offer codes or vanity URLs or whatever, they can track and they can see what's happening in terms of actual purchases, but they don't know how many people have heard their spot. I don't know how many people have heard their spot. All I know is how many people downloaded the episode. When you're doing video ads, which I don't do, you know, I can tell you this person was streaming this video on YouTube at this time. They got this far. They clicked the skip button on the ad or they didn't. They clicked around in the video or they didn't. We don't have any of that since the listening is effectively offline. Even if you're streaming it, there's no mechanism for uh, any podcast app to report back to some centralized server and say, hey, central server, here's where this listener was or did they skip this ad or listen to it, whatever. So knowing that we only have that one data point, which for big advertisers is crap, they would much rather have any more data than we can provide. I think we... I think it's a mistake to hide it because it only makes us look worse than we already look to begin with. Like we start the conversation with advertisers um, pretty low on the ladder since for that reason I was just describing where the only stat we have is downloads, not even listens. Um, For us to then try to hide it or not be public or transparent with our download numbers or how we're measuring those download numbers is problematic. And uh, there are plenty of people in the podcast advertising space. I'm going to get super nerdy now, but there's plenty of people in the space will promote and say we have this many listeners or this many subscribers or this many plays and kind of all of those numbers i don't know if i'm supposed to swear here i'll clean it up all those numbers are kind of bogus let's say (laughs) because they're all fakeable subscribers is a notoriously difficult track uh, stat to track and plays doesn't really mean anything there's some podcast clients will do constant head requests to a file to see if it's changed anything's updated or whatever and so you could very whoops you could very incorrectly count those as plays when they're not you know, when I was helping Mule Radio out and they were trying to figure out their numbers, they, their number one way to calculate their downloads was to look at bandwidth consumption by file. So how many gigabytes of transfer did we use up on Amazon Web Services and how large was the file? Let's divide. That's the approximate number of downloads. That's a pretty intelligent and smart way to get an approximate number of downloads. Um, but if they looked at just what you'd call plays, where it's how many times was the file touched, it'd be like four to 10x larger than that number. And it's clearly much closer to the first number than the second number for reality. Right. So like a company where, um, and speak to whatever you can, obviously, but like say a Libsyn, where they, sh- they show you these stats of this is how many times this episode with Lex Friedman has been downloaded. Um, and sometimes they have a stream option as well, but that there again, that just basically means a minimum. I don't know what the the stats are from them or the specifications are from them, but like at least 10 seconds of the file was played. Okay, good. We can check off a play, right? Is that right? Kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You know, and it's, we, we deal much more with SoundCloud than we do with Libsyn. Libsyn doesn't have a, a public API. So one of the reasons we like SoundCloud is that we can automate the process of fetching the number of downloads because we have a console that advertisers log into where they can hear the spots and see the stats for the episode. And so SoundCloud makes that a little easier for us because we can hit their API. Yeah. Um, But I know that SoundCloud uses a blend of a couple different things. They look at the head requests, but they also look at bandwidth consumption by file the way I talked about with Mule. And they also look at session length. You know, did you press play on a website and stay long enough to hear, you know, a decent percentage of the episode? I don't know what their exact formulas are. I know they blend a couple different data points to try to get the right number. Um, The same way, I don't know exactly when YouTube counts it as a view. I think it has to be more than clicking play, but I don't think it has to be getting all the way to the end of the video either. Right. Yeah, and that's the, I often think of podcasting as actually having more stats in a way than than say a 
a TV ad, like traditional media, anyways, radio and TV, where uh, it feels like voodoo as far as how do they really know all, I guess, with set-top boxes and stuff. Now there's, I'm sure, much more stats that they're pulling in sure. uh, on us. But, um, you know, radio, for example, where they a radio station will say they have an, uh, this big an audience or whatever, and so they can charge this much per, per whatever. At least with with podcasting, it feels like we have a number, you know, an right. actual thing. But it's it's a really good point. And with radio, you know, they they they'll do the the same as Nielsen's with TV, right? Where they're going to say, well, we've studied this percentage of people, and so we assume that this is how many listeners we actually have. So first of all, you have no idea how good their statistical model is. So the number is bogus on step one. And then step two is I don't know if you've ever been in the car with anybody listening to the radio, but I almost never hear people listen to the ads on the radio, right? As soon as the ad comes on, they push the preset and go to another station. That's one big advantage podcasts have that I talk about with advertisers all the time. If I'm listening to the show, I'm listening to the show. Maybe I'll use a skip button if the ads feel kind of crappy and inserted and and disingenuous and all that. But you're not going to tune to the next podcast until the ads on the first one go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which that's interesting technology. That there is sort of that balance right now of, uh, uh, well, even podcasters themselves like Marco Arment, we, I'm sure you're aware of, uh, <laughs> he released a podcast app the other day. Uh, I heard about that. <laughs> it was on the Twitters a bit. Um, but, you know, he has a built-in skip feature, or skip ahead anyways, not necessarily sponsorship skip, but just, I forget what his default is, 20 seconds or something. Um, and other podcast apps do the same thing. And, and obviously there's a bit of, you can skip the topic that they're talking about, but you could also use it for skipping the sponsor read and stuff. And But he's also not only a developer, he's also a client of, <laughs> or a uh, uh advertiser i guess or whatever being paid by sponsors as well and so there's this interesting world that we live in with that um that kind of dichotomy i guess but um is there a fear i guess in in some of that stuff that uh, i mean to me it's it's kind of just the nature of the beast i guess and and there's always been a way like whether i'm listening on the computer i could skip ahead if i really wanted to or or whatever is there sort of a fear of that kind of stuff and that's maybe where something like a soundcloud could build in some a bit of control over some of that yeah it's um I, I mean, yeah, any, any published content that's supported by advertising, there are people who are going to want to work to block the ads, skip the ads and whatever means. When I watch television, I typically watch only through either set top box or through my DVR and I skip the commercials. Uh, when I listen to podcasts, I don't skip the commercials, uh, undoubtedly in large part because of my job. Um, but you know, I, I listen to shows where they're doing that live read and where they're free to vamp a little bit and ad lib around it. And so I, the more it feels like part of the show, the less inclined I am to skip. And I've heard probably more Squarespace ads than just about anyone. Um, but I still listen to them to hear what people are going to say or how they're going to do it, all that stuff. It's, you were talking before, but how do they know how effective their radio ads are or how do they really measure the impact of a radio ad? And that's a conversation I have with advertisers, right? How do you know that your billboards have been seen? And not ignored as I'm driving down the highway or just missed because I was looking at the traffic instead. Uh, how do you know I was listening to the radio or watching when it was on television? Any of that. You really don't. And the, the adage that advertisers cling to a bit is, I know that 50% of my advertising works. I just don't know which 50%. Um, and, you know, the one thing I don't want to be in is I don't want to be in, well, there are many things I don't want to be in, but I don't want to be in a position of selling snake oil. You know, if I'm selling these ads, it's because I believe in them. I want them to work. Um, and I, I, the reason, like I said, I had no sales experience before I started doing podcast ads and I feel good about doing it because we have so many of these direct response advertisers, the ones tracking with those offer codes who keep renewing with us every quarter or every month and they keep spending more and they're 
you know, in order for me to be comfortable selling to Adult Swim to say, you know, do a campaign for the Rick and Morty show or to sell to some anybody who can't track directly attribute each sale to a podcast ad is because of the direct response advertisers who do exactly that. They do attribute each thing directly. And if they didn't renew each quarter or each month or whatever it is and spend more and more, then I'd be nervous. But I have something like a 98% renewal rate with those folks and which is insane in advertising. And so for whatever reason, uh, podcast ads really do work. And I say for whatever reason, like I don't know, but I could tell you exactly why, <laughs> but they're working. And because they work, I, you know, some people are always going to skip them. Right. And it's the same with me. You know, there's people who use the ad block and ad block plus and whatever else do not track me online. So when they're surfing websites that are supported by ads, they don't see the ads. Macworld is in the unusual position where they'll publish articles sometimes on macworld.com about how to use an ad blocker. But if you use it, <laughs> then Macworld's making less money from you. They can't count you. Um, and actually, I know now I'm going slightly tangential, but the web stats we kind of look at as the the hallmark of good, trustable stats that we can rely on for advertisers. And they're also totally bogus, right? Because you have no idea how many people are disabling cookies or third-party cookies, which are disabled by default in most browsers now. And then how many people are installing the, the third-party blockers or whatever. So every stat is bogus. This yeah. is bogus in varying degrees. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. So I, there's things I worry about with podcasts. If, if too many people skip, then it gets harder and harder. Like the, the trend towards more kind of custom homepage takeover style ads on big sites, you know, crack.com when it'll devote the sides and the top of its website to a movie or whatever. That stuff happens because more and more people are blocking every other kind of ad that they can do. So they've got to make it more and more native. Any of these podcast apps, I, I will regret this sentence, but any of these podcast apps could crowdsource who's skipping when or you know so marco could say hey everybody who listens to atp is hitting the skip button at 17 minutes in right so i will automatically skip or i'll put a little button in there that says you know feel free to automatically skip at this point uh that would be really crappy because the shows <laughs> are are made free and not crappy for me but crappy for the shows if the ads stop working the advertisers will stop buying the ads and not many people are gonna m many people will keep doing a podcast if they can't make any money from it but many people also won't and if you turn it into a thing where you have to kind of do product placement the entire time, Squarespace, and just constantly Squarespace, mention what the advertiser is, Squarespace, so that you can't be skipped, that would be really, you know, <laughs> yeah. totally unpleasant. Yeah, it's a, it is a little harder to do random product placement in an audio form. <laughs> it's not quite like, like a show where you've got a nice Squarespace <laughs> banner in the background that they happen to walk past. You can even imagine like just a constant hushed voice behind the podcast the entire time. <laughs> you should try Squarespace. You should try Squarespace. And just nonstop in the background. Like I don't want to get to that position. No, exactly. Yeah, and that's totally, <laughs> that's why I think Marco is, uh, he's in a funny position with what he's doing because he's serving the listener of his show, but also who he need, wants sponsorship for, but also the user of his app that he obviously wants buyers for. And, and I mean, he's a, I trust his ethics on the whole system, but it, I just know he's a guy who you know sweats the details, as they like to say in Mac developer circles, and and it I'm sure it does sort of cause him some tension sometimes as far as how much because he would be smart enough to do exactly what I'm sure he's probably even thought of that like that idea of I could just pull that data and then but then choosing not to and you know that's a discussion maybe for ATP I guess sometime but. They right. haven't already. Well, speaking of sponsorship, this show will have a sponsor in it. I, I, on my interview shows, I tend to, I know you've said in the past, like having the sponsor read mid-show, not a pre-recorded or post-recorded or whatever idea is kind of what sponsors um, like best because it flows. I right. feel like, and, and but at the same time, obviously each host has to do what they need to do. And and for me, it feels like it breaks up the conversation too much and, and, and uh 
I just lose focus on on what I'm doing as I fumble through my words and clearly lose focus anyways. <laughs> no, this, I but, totally get it. I mean, and you're doing a service to your, your guest, right? So you're not interrupting them. Um, Gruber does the opposite, right? He'll always do the ads with the guest there. And if the guest wants to chime in, they can. And if they don't want yeah. to, then they don't. Um, so I understand where you're coming from. And I don't think, I don't think it's, you're doing a disservice to the advertiser by doing the spots later. I think that if you, if you did, you know, did it live, let's say, um, then they might work even better, but I'm sure your advertisers are thrilled and delighted with everything you do. How could they not be? Look at you. <laughs> Look at me. Look at this nice campaign monitor poster behind me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, speaking of, I guess, go back to numbers and stuff. Uh, this is the question I often have, and I'm sure you get this often too, or at least you get an email from me every couple of months asking the same question with <laughs> what's the, uh, wh- whether it's a solo show, a network show, uh, uh, whatever kind of podcast people are running, the numbers that are kind of like out there for sponsors that they're looking for when you're like at mid-roll level now, uh, we ha- you can go back to episode 23 with Lex and, and listen to, you know, the numbers back then as far as when he was on his own, but like, you know, let's say good stuff comes to you and says, we need, we need someone to do sponsors. We can't do it anymore on our own. We need some help. And you say, great. I love to sell sponsors, but right. <laughs> ads, but what, what's your download numbers? And we say to you, it's a, a thousand per month or it's 50,000 per month or across the network or whatever. What's the. Sure. So I, I look at episodes uh, I look at download stats by episode. Um, so I don't look at the monthly download numbers because, you know, for example, we sell Comedy Bang Bang. It's actually a show that we own and operate and sell. And Comedy Bang Bang, you know, does somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 downloads an episode. Um, but when you look at the old archival episodes of the show, episodes that are way past how long we say it takes us to deliver the number of downloads we're promising, uh, they're doing a million downloads a month uh, of the archival episodes. So monthly downloads are, you know, we can still sell those, but it's it's spread across, you know, 200 old episodes. Uh, so I focus on what are the number of episodes, the number of downloads you're seeing per episode. And typically if we're going to take on a new show, uh, we're going to want it to be not fewer than 50,000 downloads per episode. Um, if it's a tech show, I will drop that number by 10 to 20,000. So if it's a tech show, I can maybe take 30,000 downloads per episode. And that's just because tech shows, uh, can charge a little bit more and, uh, advertisers are a little bit more eager to spend. And then if it's uh, other occasional exceptions, if it's a show that's released daily and it's doing 25,000 downloads a day, uh, it's probably still interesting because in aggregate, it's doing a whole lot of downloads. Um, so that's, uh, but that's that's approximately where our numbers are. We hear from shows as you might expect every week, um, <laughs> yeah. and I uh, we say no a lot more than we say yes, just because of the you know we need to hit certain download minimums and everything else. Yeah, that's where it's. Uh, I'm sure. Well, there's a, a great article that just went around uh, uh, from McSweeney's on. I don't know if you saw it yet. I think it, I just saw I it did. This you, you tweeted about it, I believe. Yes, I did. Um, but I'm going to start my podcast soon. And, and it's kind of like, like, I mean, on one hand, I'm like cringing and feeling like picked on or whatever, but I understand it's also, it's kind of good in that podcasting is to that point where, you know, say blogging or whatever it was a few years ago where, you know, it's a little more commonly known and, and made fun of as well. It's a, probably a, a metric to sort of be proud of, I guess, in some senses. But but there is that idea of like, I'm going to start a podcast, I'm going to make some money because obviously sponsors love podcasts, people love Squarespace will sponsor me, of course, and I'll go make money. I'll quit my crummy job and then 
uh, my family will love me again and, or, or whatever the case may be. Right. <laughs> Not speaking from personal experience here. <laughs> uh, the reality is obviously it's a lot harder than just calling up Lex and saying, okay, I've got my, sp- my <laughs> podcast is running. Give me my paycheck, you know? Right. Um, and what, so what advice I guess do you give? Not in terms of like getting listeners, but just in terms of, we talked, touched a bit on it, I guess, but of how a podcast can be set up, I guess, for success when it comes to sponsorship, if the podcast should even consider that as, you know, another question. There, I'm going to answer in a roundabout way, which I think you probably have noticed is kind of my MO. But <laughs> the, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll, you know, somebody will write to us and say, hey, will you sell my show? It's pretty big already. I've only been in a couple of weeks and I'm already doing 800 downloads an episode. And so, you know, when we go back and say, well, we need to be at 50,000, they don't always love us for that answer. <laughs> right. But if you look at, you know, a banner click-through rate, when people are measuring how well they want a banner to do, they're expecting to get like a, a, a less than 1% click-through rate. Um, so if you say that a 1% click-through rate on a banner ad is terrific and a thousand people look at that banner ad, you're assuming 10 people are, are going to click on it at a 1% rate. And that would be phenomenal. A 1% click-through rate would get people super excited. So if your podcast ha- is going to do maybe better, maybe worse than a click-through, because remember, it's, we like that live read aspect because it's going to make people more into it and it's going to have your kind of endorsement attached to it. But they also have to type in the URL and get it all exactly right. There's, there's a bigger challenge there than simply clicking on something. So if 800 people listen to your show and it's a 1% click-through rate, then you've got eight people. And how many of those people are going to buy whatever the thing is that they're looking at? Because if it's a direct response advertiser for Squarespace, they need somebody to sign up to pay for those ads. Squarespace does not spend money willy-nilly. They, they spend on shows if they can get signups from those shows. So if you say that, you know, maybe one-tenth of the people who listen to the, uh, who click on the ad will actually follow through, then on your 800-person podcast, you're getting 0.8 sales per episode. And it's really hard to pay for itself at any kind of reasonable rate that you'd want to charge that an advertiser would be willing to pay. That's, so that's kind of the background. To make the podcast attractive to advertisers, that's why it has to kind of have some size. It has to have some reach. But you also just want to make sure that it's, you know, listenable uh in the sense of you know if it's if all of your podcasts have really crappy audio people don't want to listen to shows with crappy audio and even if you have you know the 12 2000 core people who will listen to your show despite that core audio advertisers are going to hear it and get scared away so they want to know is the show like what it's about is much less important frankly than how many people it reaches now if your show is about you know hating men, then it's not going to be popular with certain advertisers. So I was trying to pick a non-picked on group as my example. Um, but if you're, you know, if, if the show has really objectionable content, you could run into some trouble. But don't forget, one of the mid-rolls most popular podcasts is a show called WTF, and everybody knows what that stands for. And every episode starts with Mark Marin issuing a whole bunch of expletives as he greets his fans. Um, <laughs> so I'm not saying it has to be clean and tidy, but, it, you know, it has to be appropriate in some sense of that word. And, uh, I mean, growing a podcast is the hardest part. If I knew how to do it, your daily likes would have more than a couple thousand listeners each day. It's some combination of, of quality, luck, and, and uh, yeah, those two things, quality and luck. Uh, I know that there's a, a common I, – I don't want to describe it in a negative way. That's not my point. But there's kind of a, a transparent, common th- approach in podcasting on any kind of show where you can have a guest to try to keep on recruiting bigger and bigger names, thinking, hey, if I get this big name on my show, then I'll get a big jump in listenership. I know Unprofessional, that was not exactly our MO, but we would have um, – 
you know, we, we would invite actors onto the show or we had Governor Jesse Ventura on the show and then iTunes featured that episode. But really what's important is not can you get a famous person on your show? It's can you get a person with a giant social presence, ideally with a giant social and podcasting presence on your show because um, that's your best chance. Because Jesse Ventura was on the show, but he didn't tell anybody who was on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> iTunes tweeted about it and that gets you a little boost for that episode, but it doesn't really up your overall download numbers all that much. Uh, we did not see giant peaks when we had big name celebrities on the show or middle name celebrities on the show. Um, so I, I think it's really just persistence, reliability in terms of, you know, if you say it's going to be daily-ish, make it daily-ish. And if you say it's going to be <laughs> weekly, make it weekly. And good audio quality. Those are the things I think advertisers care about. And by way of wrapping up, because I know you need to go eat, um, the uh, one <laughs> thing I ask folks at the end, and I don't know if things have changed, I would, I would guess maybe it has, but is some podcasts that you... Lex Friedman, you listen to, and also the apps that you listen to said podcasts on these days. So do you have a top five of four? I don't know if you're allowed to even say anymore, if you're contractually obligated to not talk about. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a tricky question for me because um, I, I am fortunate enough to sell a lot of shows that I also like. So it sounds like I'm pretty much just talking about stuff that I do sell. Uh, which is not my intent or my my reason for liking those shows. But I do really enjoy WTF. I used to only listen to WTF when it was a guest who I cared about. And over time, I found that I found the conversation so intriguing that I started listening to all episodes of WTF, even if I was much less familiar with the guest. Um, I do listen to Comedy Bang Bang regularly uh, because I find it really, really funny. I used to, again, only listen if like Weird Al was on because I'm a huge Weird Al fan. Uh, but now I listen when anybody's on because it's just so... Uh, so consistently funny. Um, I listen to Penn's Sunday School, which is a show I do not sell. Uh, Penn's Sunday School being uh, a host, uh, a show hosted by Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller fame. Uh, I'm a big fan of that one. Um, I'm spending a little bit less time with tech shows than I used to um, for no real reason. I think I just know all the tech now. Um, <laughs> and then in terms of which app, I, uh, I use iTunes on my Mac. And I use, uh, I do a lot of Castro. Um, Overcast, like you said, just came out last week. And so I'm, I'm trying that as my daily driver right now. Um, and there's a lot to like, uh, I think, in both of those apps. In fact, there's, there's a lot to like in almost all the podcast apps out there. Um, you know, I use TweetBot, but I love Twitterific too kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say I, I will either land, I will either go back to Castro or stick with Overcast. I think they're both really good. Some of the audio stuff that Marco's doing in Overcast is very impressive. Yeah, and it's yeah. There's the the speed up thing and the sound thing and the other thing. Right. <laughs> it's it's not even right. It's more than just speeding up. Right. It's like let me skip out the silences and EQ things so they sound a little bit better. Yeah. When you're at least pre overcast, what speed do you listen to podcasts at? One X or faster? Are you asking? Oh, you're asking me. I'm I yeah. listen one X always. I'm a yeah. purist as a. That's that's typically what I do too. The only show I listen faster than one X is my own. If I'm listening back to something I did for some reason because I. It makes me too uncomfortable to listen to normal speed yeah. to myself. <laughs> At least a, a double speed or whatever. It sounds like it's maybe someone else talking, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's and that's I've I I listened to uh, I forget which shows, but a few episodes now with because um, I'm I tweeted about this, but I'm in the lucky club of iPhone four users to mm. which Marco Arment has gifted, I guess is the right term, all the features of Overcast without having to buy it because when iOS 8 comes out later this fall, my phone will stop working with <laughs> Overcast so he or something to that effect anyways. And so then that's his way of guilt-free, kind of like not having to say sorry later on 
when the app all of a sudden stops working. But anyway, so I've been able to, I was playing around with, because um, I actually couldn't buy it from, I was trying to buy it, and you, I, there's no way for me to actually upgrade, do an in-app purchase on, on an iPhone 4 with it. But anyways, I've been listening to a few shows with that and didn't really notice anything, aside from one show that had a bit of a music interlude thing, and there was kind of some weird stuff going on there with that sort of skip the silence thing. But otherwise, it's, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it on I haven't checked. He has the little stats thing that shows you how much of your life you've saved or whatever <laughs> with the the skip. But um, it's a neat feature. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty clever. I, I I in the past on your daily Lex, I have tried to speak too quickly while acknowledging what I'm doing. I've tried to speak too quickly so that you couldn't listen at two x or faster. <laughs> um, and so that's that's always been a goal of mine too. I want to. <laughs> I want you not to be able to use any audio tweaks to listen to me better. <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, in uh, finally in wrapping up, I guess where where can folks find more about Mr. Lex if they're God? Why would they want to find out even more about me at this point? <laughs> but if they do, uh, I guess you can find me on Twitter at l e x f r i. I call it Lex Fry. Some people say Lex Free. Whatever you want. Uh, I'm there in LexFriedman.com. It's spelled Fried Man. So LexFriedman.com is another fine place to find me. All right. Well, thanks, Lex, for joining me. And uh, like I said, check him out on his website you can listen uh well you can listen to this good stuff.fm obviously is where the show is but this particular episode good stuff.fm slash smym slash 43 that's for short for show me your mic uh for all the links and things will be there there's the podcast player obviously in previous episodes of this show uh, my thanks to you the listener for listening along to this episode good stuff.fm uh, of course, has lots of other shows you can listen to. Uh, my thanks to Kyle Roderick and his show Transmission for cutting short their episode this morning so that we, I could uh, borrow the live stream to stream this out live this morning. Check out his show. He does it nearly daily, more daily than Lex or I do, Monday to Thursday every day, every morning in whatever time zone it happens to be for you. And uh, good stuff, underscore FM is where you can follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. 